invite you to take your Bibles, if you will, and turn with me to the Gospel according to Luke. Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. I'll share with you one of the things I love about our church is the music that we have here, the talent that is often shared. I'll share with you as well, last week Nancy and I thought about you all when we were not here last Sunday morning. Our daughter, as most of you know, was married last weekend. Somebody asked me, said, were you, did you do the father role or the preacher role? And the answer is yes. <laughs> I actually had the privilege of bringing her down the aisle. And then uh, we're at the venue where she was being married. And after a friend of ours, a colleague of mine, uh, did the initial part and then asked who blesses this marriage after the response of her mother and I as they were stepping up went back dropped the tux coat put on the robe came back around and um, that way we didn't have to give the preacher an honorarium <laughs> but uh, you know one of the things that happens on a Sunday morning is uh, as we were having some time together with his family and our family and with the couple again um, you know, you, you kind of look at your clock, you know, when you're, when you're a pastor of a church and you're going, so it's 8.15, that means they're starting, it's 8.35, that means Pastor Meredith is getting ready to start, it's now 9.30, they're getting ready, I mean, so you're in your head as you look at your watch going, okay, here's where they are, here's what they're doing in the service, so we did miss you. Luke 16, beginning at verse 19, Jesus tells the story. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gates lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried in Hades, where he was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner, evil things. Now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. Besides all this, between you and us, a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to us. He said, Then, Father, I beg you to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them so that they may not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. He said, No, Father Abraham, but if, if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. 
Almighty God, we give you thanks for your holy word and for the privilege of studying it together. And now as I stand before these, your people, I pray that this would be your message and not my own through the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We've been looking at the Gospel of Luke because Luke tells us at the very beginning that other Gospels have already been written. Plenty of stories of this Jesus of Nazareth had been shared. But God had led him to write yet another Gospel. What is it that God wants us to hear from Luke? One of the things we learn from Luke is that God has this incredible passion for the outcasts, for the poor, the marginalized, those who are set aside by most of the world. Here, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees. The Pharisees are the religious leaders. The Pharisees are the ones who had vowed they would keep the letter of the law. The first five books of the Old Testament are the law, the Torah. They are the ones who vowed we'll dot every I, we'll cross every T, we'll make sure that everything is done exactly right. They seemed to miss something. Even though they were keeping the letter of the law, they seemed to miss the essence of the law. The essence of the law that we love God and we love our neighbor. What does that look like? So Jesus tells the story. He said there was, there was a rich man. And when he talks about rich, this is a rich man. Why? Well, he was dressed in purple. Now that's a clue for many of us. The fact that you wear purple may not be that big a deal. But in biblical times, to wear purple meant something. As a matter of fact, the Roman government is occupying Israel at this time. And the Roman government would dictate who could wear purple and how much purple they could wear because purple was a sign of royalty. It was a sign of distinction. It said something about you, and the Roman government wanted to know what you were saying and what that said about who you are. So the fact that this man wore purple, he was pretty affluent. He was pretty influential, to be sure. And purple was expensive. And in that day, you just didn't have the colors like we have today. This morning, I got up, and it was like, I think I'll wear this suit. Okay, if I'm going to wear this suit, which tie am I going to wear? Do I want the purple tie? Do I want the pink tie? Do I want the blue tie? Do I want a green tie? Do I want a red tie? What color tie do I want? Or do I go a little more, more modest with gray? No, let's don't go gray. We'll do something different. We had the opportunity to choose colors, but in biblical times, it meant that somebody went and collected the shellfish and was able to extract from them the dye that would turn the clothes purple. And only the wealthy could afford to do that. He was a rich man in fine linen. So we're told not only did he wear purple, but it was probably imported purple. Is that Egyptian? That looks Egyptian to me. The finest of the fine. And not only that, he feasted sumptuously every day. Not just Fridays, not just the weekend, every day he feasted sumptuously. So I'm a visual person. I kind of see the scriptures when I read them. And so I picture, here's this little guy wearing his purple and fine imported linens. And if he's feasting sumptuously every day... I'm picturing a little roundedness to him. And he has it made 
We know later on that he has five brothers, and so I imagine the brothers came regularly to, to feast sumptuously. And if, if you're clothed in purple and fine linen and feasting sumptuously every day, you probably have servants that are helping to take care of you and provide for you. So he's probably used to going, we need more beverages, more food, where, bread. Used to calling for somebody to be taken care of. He was a rich guy. And we know because he had a gate. I mean, that, that meant not only did this man have a home, but his home was walled off. And there was a gate. So the only people allowed inside were the people invited inside. He was a rich man. Now, right outside of his gate, there was a poor man whose name was Lazarus. It's not the same Lazarus that Jesus raised from the dead but another man by the name of Lazarus, who was a poor beggar. Scripture says that he was laid at the gate. Actually, if you look up the Greek, the Greek word for laid at the gate means he was tossed out at the lake, at the gate. He was thrown out at the gate. He was set aside at the gate. Someone dumped him off at the gate. I mean, he was just kind of placed there, which lets us know this poor man was, was probably crippled or, or there was some physical illness with him that he wasn't able to maneuver on his own. He got dumped there. Lying there at the gate, he was poor, no purple, wasn't wearing purple. As a matter of fact, his clothes were probably tattered and torn. And Well, I imagine because he was poor and helpless and didn't have access to clean linens every day, that he probably had an aroma about him. Don't you imagine? Imagine there was a stench about this guy. And he was helpless. He was hungry. I mean, the other guy, I picture roundedness. This guy, you probably could count his ribs. He was hungry, wanted to eat the crumbs from the rich man's table. Now, when you think about that, let me give you some insights from the culture of the day. Hey, have you ever gone out to eat, and, and now that it's about 16 till 12, in case you're wondering if I know, <laughs> you know, have you ever gone to lunch and had like just scrumptious, fall off the bone ribs or something like that? You know, the, the kind that, that when you pick it up to eat it, it's just all over your fingers and all over your mouth. Or, or you know, that chicken that just is finger-licking good. You know, or, or you know, where you just, you know when you finish eating, you shouldn't do this. So you look around, especially if you're in a nicer restaurant, and, and if nobody's looking, you go... <laughs> right? You know the kind... The kind that you're thinking as soon as you stop, that's where we're heading kind? Well, you know, when, when you have that kind of food, oftentimes the server will come by with a moist towelette, you know, that you can open up and you, you wipe your fingers off or, or some places even bring you that washcloth that, that's, you know, that's wet and, and it's been heated so, you know, you can really clean yourself up good. Well, in biblical times, the way you would often do that is they would take bread. After you've eaten, you would take a piece of bread and you would wipe your hands. 
You take bread, that was the moist towelette. You would take the bread and wipe those fingers and wipe off, you know, before you took the cloth to finish it off. But, but you would take the, the bread and, and kind of get off that grease, that, get off that scrumptiousness from those fall off the bone ribs. And then they would take the bread and throw it on the floor. And later, the dogs would be allowed in to eat up the scraps. When Lazarus says he, he would love to have eaten the bread from the master's table, can you imagine watching somebody, after they've eaten, wipe their hands with the bread, throw it on the ground, and go, would I like to have that? I shared that at 9.30. There was a young man sitting right over here. And as I said, you know, who can imagine after you've done that and throw it down going, I want to eat that. And this little boy over here goes, no! <laughs> he knew. I'm not eating that. But Lazarus loved to have had it. This is a sick man. He was covered in sores. So instead of roundish and healthy-looking, hollow-eyed, pale, sickly kind of looking guy. As a matter of fact, the only friends he had were the dogs that would come by to lick his sores. And we're told that, that Lazarus died. And you would think when a beggar like that died, somebody probably walked by and saw this poor crippled beggar lying dead over there and told somebody in the town and somebody that was paid to do it, come pick up the body and go give it some modest burial, but not told, not here. The scripture says that when Lazarus died, the angels of heaven came and picked him up and took him to heaven, and there he was in the presence of Abraham, the father of the faith. Well, the rich man also died, and when he died, he was buried. And after he was buried, we're told that he finds himself in Hades, some translations say hell, and there he is, in torment, and, and he looks up, and he cannot believe what he has seen. He looks up toward heaven, and there's Abraham. Now, he must be a man of faith, because he recognized that's Abraham. But beside of Abraham was Lazarus. The man cannot believe Lazarus is there with Abraham. So he cries out to Abraham. Now, this is part of the scripture that makes me mad. Because he cries out to Abraham and says, Abraham! Father Abraham, tell Lazarus, bring me some water. Don't you love that? There's two reasons this makes me mad. One is, he knew Lazarus' name. He knew his name. Now it is one thing to be oblivious to the poor. That's bad enough. It's one thing to be oblivious to those who are hurting. That's bad enough. It's one thing to be oblivious to those who are marginalized and those who are without. That's bad enough. But when you know their name and still don't care, that's called indifference. And that's so much worse. He knew his name and still didn't care. Still did nothing. But now he looks up. The second thing that makes me mad is the arrogance. Notice he didn't say, Abraham, bring me some water. No, because he knew. Now, in the ranking order, 
Abraham would be above me. That's the father of the faith. But what irritates me about this scripture is that's just Lazarus. Wouldn't ask Abraham bring him water. But Abraham, tell him, bring me water. Because see, all his life he was used to being able to go, water! Tell him to bring me some water. Abraham says, you know, you might remember during your whole life you had everything. Lazarus had nothing. But now the great reversal has occurred. You ignored him while he suffered. And now you are suffering. And he is in the presence of Abraham. Well, what does he say then? Well, Father Abraham, tell him to go to my father's house because I have five brothers who are just like me. And I don't want them coming here. What does Abraham say? Well, they have Moses and the prophets. Now, in biblical times, in Jesus' time, by the time of Jesus, the scriptures, the holy scriptures of the day, was the law and the prophets, the Old Testament and the prophets. So basically what he says is, you got the scripture. They have the same scripture you have. They have the law and the prophets. Let them listen to that. We have it on an app, but they had it. And all of a sudden he goes, no, they're not listening to that. I didn't listen to that. But if someone who died, rises again, they'll pay attention. That makes me mad too. You know why? Because if the brothers would recognize Lazarus as the guy who died, it meant they knew who he was too. Did you catch that? That meant when they were coming over to their brother's house to feast sumptuously, daily, they knew the guy at the gate as well. And ignored him. And ignored him. And Abraham says, you know, for some people, even if someone rises from the dead, there are some people who just won't believe anyway. You see, the challenge here with this scripture that really gets me is the indifference. It's the utter lack of concern for the other. And what sometimes we forget and what the rich man here forgot is that person at the gate had a name. The person at the gate was an individual with feelings and had a name. Sometimes we just see people. We just see bodies. We just see beings. But Lazarus has a name. And the people at our gate have a name. And Jesus died for them just as much as he died for us. George Buttrick, in his comments on the scripture, said, The issue here is not simply about helping the poor. The issue here is neighborliness. When we no longer see our neighbor, even when we know their name. Even when we know their name. We just shared the video on the humbly serving in love with the great week of service. And one of the reasons we do all the local missions that we do and the foreign missions and the pastoral care and the addictions and other things that we try to help people go through is because every one of these folks have a name. 
they have a name. And, and, and so we try to find a way to make sure that those who are hungry have something to eat and those who are without have clothes and that, that those who, who need shelter have shelter because, you see, here's the problem. The Pharisees said, we dot every I and cross the T. We followed the word, and yet they missed some of it. Isn't it interesting how we follow the scripture, but it tends to be the scriptures we like? And not all of them. I mean, for example, if they dot every I and cross every T, you would have thought they would have heard in Leviticus 19, verse 9, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap to the very edges of your field, or gather the gleanings of your harvest. You shall not strip your vineyard bare or gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the alien. Or Deuteronomy 15.7. You'd have thought the Pharisees would have seen this verse. If there is among you anyone in need, a member of your community in any of your towns within the land that the Lord your God is giving to you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward your needy neighbor. And then Paul, writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6.10 says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and in their eagerness to be rich, some, not all, but some, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. You see, it's not the fact that we're blessed that's the problem. It's not the fact that the rich man was rich. That was not the issue. The issue is when our wealth and when our richness and when our blessings become our God. Or when we get so blinded with what all we have that we no longer notice Lazarus. We no longer see Lazarus. Now, I'll confess to you, this is not one of my favorite parables because in most of the parables that Jesus tells I put myself in the position of one of the good guys. You know, I mean, there's a good Samaritan. The priest and the Levite walk right by. The guy in the ditch didn't even stop. And I'm going, oh, that's terrible. I would have stopped Samaritan. I'm one of the good guys in most of Jesus' stories. But in this one, I'll confess to you, I may be more like the rich man than I want to be because I will confess to you, I am a rich man. And, and what I mean by that is I have clothes on my back. I mean, I got up this morning and, and was trying to decide, what do I want to wear today? You probably got up and said the same thing, unless someone else in your family said, here's what you're wearing today. <laughs> but somebody had a choice. And the moment you had a choice on what you would wear, you're rich. I'm a rich man. I have food on my table. I'll just go ahead and confess. As a matter of fact, one of the issues I have, which is one of the issues I think many of us have, is not do we have food on the table, but did we eat all the food that was on our table at one time? You know, when a doctor asks you, are you planning to get any taller? <laughs> that says something. Most of us, in just a few moments, if you're not already texting each other asking this question, is not going to be, will we eat lunch, but where? What are we having? And the moment, if you are like me, that sometimes I will catch myself saying, you know, I know I need to eat, but right now just nothing sounds really good to me. 
if you ever have the opportunity to go, you know, I know I need to eat, but nothing just really appeals to me right now, that's because you are rich. Because when you are hungry, anything will appeal to you. So I'm a rich guy. I get it. I'm a rich guy. I live in a home. I, I, last night, when my wife and I got ready to go to bed, we, we actually locked the door of the home, and, and we pushed this button, and it said, Armed. Stay. We were secure. We were able to lie down at night without wondering what was going to happen to us. We were, we were safe. Why? Because I'm a rich man. We have ointment too. When we get sick, we have all kinds of stuff. And if we don't have it, we just live right down the road from the pharmacy. Got my doctor's cell phone number. I've got access to care. Because I'm a rich guy. And I'll confess to you, I have toys. I have toys. Oh, I'm going to name it what it is. I have toys. One of my toys, I ride a Harley Davidson. You know that. I've confessed that to you before. I ride a motorcycle. And, and I did not get it because it gets good mileage. <laughs> I mean, I, I will just confess to you, we did not come to that decision going, we have got to do something that gets better mileage. We have got to find something. It's either going to be a Harley or a Prius. <laughs> I'm going Harley. That was not the conversation. It's a toy. I, I can't justify it any other way. It's a toy. It's a luxury. Why? Because I'm a rich man. I'm blessed. But we all laugh because, well, we all know we're all rich, right? We have clothes on our backs. We have food on our tables. We have nice homes. I've yet to visit any of you in a pastoral care visit and go, which bridge is it you live under? We are blessed. Many of us have toys. It's not just me. Some of you have boats. Some of us have, you know, second homes. It's like, well, we missed last week because we were at our beach place or we were at our mountain place or we were at our lake place. And, and anytime you go, we were at a place, you're rich. I'm rich. We're rich. We're like the rich man. We have gym memberships. You have a gym membership, you're rich. Our kids play travel sports. It means we're rich. That's an option. It means you're blessed. We have club memberships. We have golf clubs. We have all kinds of stuff. We're blessed. And the blessing is not the problem. The problem is, though, when the blessings become so great that they distort our vision and we can no longer see Lazarus. Or... We have so much, we no longer even care about Lazarus. That's when it becomes the problem. You see, what I find interesting as well is statistically, statistics show that the more we have, the richer we become, the more affluent we become, the less we give. Poor and middle give a whole lot more percentage-wise to help their neighbor than those who are rich in blood. Statistics are there, and I thought, somebody's not going to believe it, so I've got all the data right here in case you're going, I don't believe that's true. Well, talk to Forbes and some of the others where they told me, th they told me this. It's there. For some reason, the more we have, the less we give. I remember 
Fred Craddock one time preaching. He was a little short pastor about this tall, incredible biblical scholar and preacher. I mean, he was a phenomenal preacher. And he was telling one time about somebody saying to him as a pastor, said, Pastor, you know, I used to tithe. Now, I used to tithe. That's that biblical concept of the 10%. I used to tithe, but wow, have things changed. I mean, God has blessed us. My company has grown. My business has grown. My family, we're doing so well. We have so much. I am so blessed. Did you know if I tithe today how much money that would be? I cannot afford to do that. We'd be talking about a lot of money if I were to tithe. And what's funny is to see this little short preacher with a little high-pitched voice go, I'm going to pray for you that God will bring you back down to a level where you can be faithful again. Yeah. See, this sermon and that sermon is the kind of sermon that gets a preacher moved to the new church. Because we're blessed. And the challenge of it is is Lazarus is at the gate. There are a lot of Lazaruses at the gate. And if we have so much that we can't see Lazarus anymore, then we can't afford it. And if we have so much that we can't help Lazarus anymore, we can't afford what we have. And if we have so much that we can't offer our tithes and offerings anymore, that make a difference to Lazarus, we can't afford it. Here's what I find interesting as well. All of the neighbors looked at the rich man and were so impressed. But God wasn't. God wasn't. Because the rich man couldn't see Lazarus. You know what the word Lazarus means? It means God helps. And we are called to be the physical presence of Jesus Christ and help Lazarus in the name of and on behalf of Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me? God, this is the kind of sermon that gets a preacher in trouble. But to be honest with you, it's the kind of sermon that the preacher doesn't like either. Because it reminds us that if we're not careful, we can be so busy keeping the letter of the law that we miss the essence of your word. And we ride right by Lazarus and miss it. God, we pray that you would help us to realize that everything that we are and everything that we have is a gift from you. And God, I praise you for the fact that I am blessed. My wife and my children have never gone hungry. And I thank you for that. My wife and my children have never been without clothing on their backs. And I praise you. My wife and my children have always been safe in their homes, sheltered. And I praise you for homes and pantries and blessings. 
But God, we pray that we would never get so caught up in what we have that we can't see Lazarus. God, you call on us to be the physical presence of Jesus Christ. You call on us to take a portion of the gifts that you give to us and to feed Lazarus, to clothe Lazarus, to anoint his wounds, and to make sure he has a place to stay. And God, we pray that we would never get so busy on our way to play with our blessings that we go right by Lazarus with absolutely no concern whatsoever. I'd rather be oblivious than indifferent. But God, we pray that you would help us to be neither but to help our neighbor in the name of Jesus Christ and on behalf of Jesus Christ. Amen.